0: You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour number three.
1: It's The Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960 The Fan, coming to you live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Studio. They specialize in everything basement-y since 1992, serving Calgary in southern Alberta. At the bottom of the hour, friend of the show, Julian McKenzie, Calgary Flames writer for The Athletic, has an incredible piece on the trade that went down between the Panthers and the Flames that sent Matthew Kachuk the other way and brought Jonathan Huberto and McKenzie Weger to Calgary.
2: Some individuals were surprised. Yes. Some individuals were not surprised.
1: Uh, we'll get uh, Julian's take on uh, the whole genesis of the entire story, how it went down, and we'll get his take on the flames who kick off a six game roadie tomorrow night in Tampa to talk about the Tampa Bay side of things from the Tampa Bay times on the Atlas pizza and sports bar guest hotline. We say good morning to Eduardo and Cena. and Thanks for doing this. How are you?
3: Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
1: No problem. How easy is it to cover a team that you know is going to be good game in game out pretty much.
3: <laughs> well, they set a they set a pretty high bar. Uh, I think that's pretty obvious. And, um, so you know, with that bar that's set, and they don't—they ha- wouldn't have it any other way. You know, every little thing gets dissected. So, um, but they're definitely a fun team to cover. It's obviously uh, the other day we was talking to some other people on the beat about how many you know Hall of Famers that, that or potential Hall of Famers that, that there are on this team, and um, it, it's definitely one of those ones that I think you know, no matter where they go from here, that's going to kind of live, uh, you know, live in history. Um, for what they've been able to do and, you know, it did their whole narrative because it's, it's been an amazing one from, you know, being this, you know, growing up together and being this team that was really talented and really kind of struggled to get over the hump to, you know, now being a, a team that's, that's lifted the cup a couple of times and been to the final street three straight years and doing all of that, you know, through the salary cap era, which is, as we all know, is, extremely tough because you have, you know, year to year turnover. So um, I think from top to bottom, they've been, you know, just a a really interesting team to follow.
1: Uh, How is it dealing with John Cooper on a day-to-day basis? (laughs)
3: Uh, He, uh, you know, he's a guy who's, uh, you know, he he brings his lawyer background into things. Sometimes when you ask a question, you got to phrase it the right way, but, um, you know, he, uh, he's obviously a a brilliant coach and uh, he's, he's, amazing in the room you hear the guys talk about how uh you know he knows which buttons to push with players and obviously they have a really great leadership group so and he knows when not to push you know the buttons with players so um you know it's been fun you know being there and and you know kind of seeing trying to see things through his eyes as he you know coaches this team and you know he's another guy who you know he has a incredible legacy you know in this town and you know. In, in, in the sport nationally and, and, you know, throughout the league. Braden Point is
2: someone who uh, always interests us here yeah. in Calgary, being a Calgary guy, a top-line center for the Tampa Bay Lightning, point per game uh, as we sit right now with six goals and 16 points in 16 games. Who have been the ideal linemates so far for Braden Point this year, and, and how has his game progressed?
3: Yeah, it's just funny because, he's uh, you know, obviously, you know, when we see him every day, we see all the, the big chemistry that he has with Nikita Kucherov, and that's, uh, you know, that, that's something that's developed over the years. And, and you know, it's, it's really uh, it's really fun to see because it's almost that they, they know where each other is on the ice. And, um, you know, Braden brings so much with his speed, uh, the way he can, you know, handle the you know, skate and, and handle the puck on a stick. And Kucherov is a guy who kind of is a – he's a dissector. He slows the game down. He's always kind of looking for to make plays and uh, obviously he can score goals as well. And then I think the, the key, you know, factor to that third piece this year, that's kind of emerged and and they really needed to kind of find who that guy was because they lost Andre Pallad, who had been on that line for so long has been Brandon Hagel. And he brings so much with kind of a mixture of both. You know, he's, he's a guy who has that kind of speed that, that Braden has and, Um, he's great on the forecheck. He's got a great stick. He's, you know, he's always kind of in your face, you know, on the forecheck. And, but, uh, but he's a guy who can also kind of be patient like Kucherov too. And, uh, you know, find where, where it is, but those guys have, it's taken a little bit of time for them to get used to Hagel and Hagel to get used to them. But right now they're, um, they're really grooving. And and, and that top line has been the best line uh, pretty much all year. And, uh, you know, it's going to probably continue to be. And then, and and point is such a big part of this team, as you guys know, is uh you know, he does so much and, and as he goes, the team goes. You know, he sets the tempo so much. And whether that's in five on five or on the power play, um, he is just such a the, the, the you know, and in a lot of ways, you know, the engine that that, that kind of makes this team go, especially with, with everything that he can do. He's such a talented player. And mm-hmm. I think one big thing for him right now is just kind of you know, maintaining that and staying healthy. You know, I mean, I think he's, he's dealt with some injuries at some points during the past few seasons, and um, I know he's kind of worked on that to you know, make sure that, that you know, he, he does stay healthy in some of that. So I think that that's kind of the big thing for him. But, I mean, obviously one of the most dynamic players in the game, and he's he's really fun to watch on the ice every night.
2: Steven Stamkos wears the C, but when I look at this team, like like you mentioned, there's so many guys that are probably going to be Hall of Famers that have been on this team for a very long time. Who is part of that new core, though? Because you've just mentioned a guy like Brandon Hagel. They bring in Nick Paul. They sign him long term. Is there maybe a bit of a changing of the guard happening this season?
3: Yeah, so it kind of goes back to the whole thing is you know about you know, the cap. You know, you, you can you can keep guys, but you know you got to let guys go and. Um, and it was interesting stuff that I saw the other day is that, you know, there's, there's more guys on this team now that have not won a Stanley cup than have. So um, even though, you know, the core is the same, like, you know, the, the names, you know, we all know the names that the Stamkoses, the Hedman's, the Kujarovs, Vasilevsky, uh, Braden Point, guys like that. But there has been a little bit more of a turnover this year. And, you know, Nick Paul and, and Hagor are guys that, you know, they came over at, at the trade deadline and were a big part of that cup of the run to this finals last year. But, I think this year they've become more, uh, bigger pieces. You know, they're they're both playing special teams. Now, uh, they're, you know, kind of finding their lines in the top six, you know, Hagel. I mean, uh, Paul's kind of emerged as that, you know, second line center, you know, and, uh, you know, I think those two guys are really the guys that kind of stand out as as kind of this next wave of guys. When you've got to replace guys, you're going to lose guys like Pilat, you know, you're going to lose guys, um, in, in free agency and, uh, and they they've lost a number of those guys, you know, the past few off seasons. But um, definitely, like, Nick Paul is a guy who, uh, you know, has really fit in so well here. Uh, I think for a big guy, everyone here has been really surprised with how good of a skater he is and just had the skill level that he has. And, uh, you know, you put him in front of the net, and he can really, you know, do a lot of damage, whether it's, you know, setting screens or... Uh, you know, deflecting pucks or just, you know, with a stick, you know, for a big guy, like he I said, he's got a good stick, he can skate well. So he's really fit in really well. And Hagel, like I said, those are, those are really two guys that have really kind of, uh, you know, really, you know, set you know, stood out. The other guy would probably be Nick Purbix. He's a rookie defenseman who, you know, over the season in Rochester, I mean, sorry, in Syracuse in the AHL. And um, it was really kind of jumped in on that, you know, second defensive pairing with Mikhail Sergachev and, uh, you know he plays a game that uh, is pretty simple, you know, very predictable game. And but he doesn't doesn't make mistakes, and he's he's been really dependable back there. And I think that's something that they really kind of look for. And he's a rookie; he's only played you know 11, 12 games, but you know, he's a college kid playing the Olympics for Team USA last year. Uh, so he's got some experience under his belt in big games. And he, it's it's funny because some of those college guys sometimes they come up and they're pretty well seasoned. And you know, he's actually older than Mikhail Sturgatchev, who's you know 24 and mm-hmm. Has won two Stanley Cups and you know was you know emerging as one of the elite defencemen in the league and you know so he's and he's older than Hagel so he you know even though he's a rookie he's he's got some uh, some experience maybe not at the NHL level but uh, those guys come in and and sometimes they, they fit in real well and perfect has been one of those guys.
1: Eduardo Encina from the Tampa Bay Times joining us here on the Big Show Russick and Rose Sportsnet 960 the fan on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. I know you mentioned Mikhail Sergachev and. Uh, being a, a Montreal Canadiens fan uh, growing up, uh, I still shake my head over the Jonathan Druin <laughs> from a Shemingale-Surgachev yeah. trade. What an absolute steal that was for Steve Eiserman at the time. But wanted to get your thoughts on, uh, is he going to blossom into one of the more offensive-minded defensemen in the league? Because all of a sudden, yeah, I know that he always had that upside, but we haven't really seen him break through. And now all of a sudden, you look at this year already, four goals, 11 assists. Uh, he's just been a dynamo offensively. Do you expect him to be challenging? as we move forward here with the Tampa Bay Lightning, as a guy who can be one of the top-scoring defensemen in all the league?
3: Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, the, you know recently we are kind of seeing a lot of signs of that. Like you said, the, the numbers are one thing, but it's kind of the way he's kind of scoring these goals. And, and Mikhail is, is a guy who's always working to – him and Kucherov are two of these guys are like, they're never really satisfied. You know, they're always kind of working on their games, trying to find little details to improve. And, and this year, you know, Sergeyev changed his his, his stick blade – a little bit, and that's kind of helped them a little bit in terms of, uh, you know, getting pucks through the net, I mean, through the screens and to the net, you know, and um, that's been really the key for him offensively. A couple nights ago, he scored two goals. Both of them were from the point, you know, rocket shots that probably last year would have gotten through. And, you know, this year that they're getting through. So, you know, he's, a, he's really a guy who pays attention to detail, whether it's something like a stick blade or just kind of, you know, focusing on a shot. Two years ago, he spent an entire off season just focusing on the shot and, You know, they didn't come with the goals maybe last year, but I think this year it's going to come, Um, you know, and and this year, you know, they need him to kind of grow into being that guy because, uh, you know, he's kind of moving up from that third pairing to the second pairing with Ryan McDonough no longer there. And but the thing with him, I think that he's kind of been in a really good situation from day one here because he's been able to learn under two really good defensemen who elite defensemen who are kind of different in, in Victor Hedman and Ryan McDonough. And he's kind of become that kind of hybrid version of them. You know, and, you know, I think, you know, he's really concentrated the defensive side of his game. And now, you know, you're seeing that offensive side really blossom. Uh, and I think that that's, you know, they obviously I signed him to a, a long-term extension uh, in the offseason eight years that's going to kick in after next year. So he's definitely a part of their future. And they believe that he's going to be that, you know, elite defenseman that can kind of be within that next wave that, you know, keeps them competitive you know, after this, maybe this, this core veteran core group is, is is winding down their time in Tampa Bay. So uh, yeah, he's, and and like I said, I think the thing that's really most impressive with Sergey is that, you know, he's never really satisfied, you know, and and last night, you know, he, he had, he had a bad play where he overstated a puck and on on the power play, and it ended up a shorthanded goal in their own net, but um, he's a guy who kind of shakes that off and his teammates around him make sure that he doesn't let that affect him. And, it was, and then he ends up having the primary assist on the game winner in overtime and three on three. So, um, you know, he's one of those guys that, you know, you said he's never satisfied. He's always improving, and I think that keeps you faith that he's going to be that guy who's going to be, you know, one of the, you know, elite all around defensemen uh, that we're going to be talking about next few years.
2: Andrei Vasilevsky started in 11 games, 5-5-1 five, five and one in those 11, with a 3.1 goals against and an 8.98 safe percentage. They're not Andrei Vasilevsky-like numbers, um, but what are you seeing? Is that uh, maybe a, a little bit of loose play early on from the team as a whole, or is this some actual struggles for the Russian netminder?
3: Yeah, for sure. I think that uh, it's probably a little bit more of the, uh, of, of what, of the first thing is, is I think that this year, uh, yeah, those stats are, are pretty deceiving because I think this year that Vasilevsky's played well and he's kept them in a lot of games. You know, uh, there's been a lot of games that maybe have been 1-1s or 1-0s that the Lightning have allowed some, you know, grade A opportunities and he's kept them in the game. So I think that, um, you know, this the, the way, if there's one thing that this team is still trying to find its way in is, is on in their own end in terms of turning the puck over in their own end and Allowing some of these odd man rushes or, you know, chances in, in front of the net, and you know has been there to, to prevent a lot of those. And I think sometimes when you have a, a goaltender who's as good as Andrei Vasilevsky, you almost become a little—I don't want to use more complacent—but like you think that that's you know you, you just kind of let it go because you know that he's going to bail you out most times, and um, you know a lot of times he has. And I think the volume of, of those opportunities that, th- that they've allowed it's kind of lead, led to those numbers that you're seeing with, with Vasilevsky. But, um, you know, I think that, you know, he's a guy too who also kind of gets into his groove at some point in the season. And we're going to see, you know, a time, I think, you know, I don't think, I think his numbers were probably, I don't know if they were like that, but, you know, probably a little bit the same, you know, the first month of the season last year, but he, he really kind of hits a groove at, at one point where, you know, all of a sudden he's on this, you know, 12 game win streak and, you know, you know, 940 state percentage. And and then, you know, you know, okay, Andre Vasilevsky is Andre Vasilevsky, but also kind of comes in with them honing and and tightening down those, you know, just their game on the defensive end. So I think that that's, you know, there's, there's two parts of it, but I I think definitely some of those numbers are a little bit, uh, a little bit deceiving when it comes to Vasilevsky.
2: Well, and I'm interested always when a team has a bona fide number one goaltender, and there aren't that many of them in the NHL. Vasilevsky's one, Shosturkin's another. And you look at the Rangers and their backup goalie, Halak is having a lot of struggles this year. He's 0-4-1, which means that they have to lean so much more on Shosturkin. But in Tampa, they're getting some results out of their backup, Brian Elliott. How is that going to help maybe keep Vasilevsky fresh if this team wants to go on another deep run?
3: Yeah, it's huge because, you know, this team actually had a lot of back-to-backs early on. The first, like, two weeks, I think they had three back-to-backs. So, Elliot got a lot of playing time early. And now, you know, they're kind of in this, you know, have a little bit more of a, a rhythm of the schedule. Um, but, you know, you're seeing Elliot still, you know, play. It doesn't have to be a back-to-back. You know, he played last night, and you know, he allowed four goals. But, again, I, I think that was, that was pretty deceiving because there were some, like you said, there was a shorthanded goal and a couple other ones that there were – Brian Elliott really couldn't do much about. So, um, but yeah, I think when you have that dependable backup, and, and like you said, it's, one of the things that's, that's amazing about this year is just one, how many teams don't have that tandem of like a dependable one-two, or even a, you know trying to figure out who that number one is in, in general. But also just how much turnover there's been amongst goaltending. If you don't have one of those elite guys, you know you're you're looking for that guy, right? So, um, but that's not that, that hasn't been the case in Tampa for several years, and I think Brian Elliott's really been an upgrade. In, in, that, in that sense, in, in, the, in the number two role, he's a guy that they trust. And I think one time, the tough part, it's it's not easy playing behind Andre Vasilevsky. One, because he's such a horse that he plays so much. And two, that, like, you know, there's that bar that he sets. And you've almost got to meet that same bar. And I think that Elliot Elliott's done that this year. And he's been great. And um, he's really been an addition to his team when he, when he joined last year. I don't think, maybe a little bit of a surprise them but uh yeah he's been incredible and, and uh you know the moose chance at, at Amalie Arena have been you know pretty you know frequent uh you know throughout the you know, throughout his starts here because he's made a lot of big saves, much like Vasilevsky does in terms of like it's it's one thing making the volume of saves, but it's another thing making the those huge saves in big games and tight situations when it's a you know 1-0, 1-1, 2-2 game, you know, in late. So he's he's been both of that. So I think he's raised his game, you know, just being with the with Vasileski and, and being his backup.
1: Uh, Eduardo, I know you weren't covering the team at the time, but when the mm-hmm. when the Flames and Lightning get together, uh, there's a lot of memories yeah. back to '04 4 here, and more specifically Game 6. When it was in. When the puck was, a lot of Flames fans say it was in. Uh, the Marty yeah. Jelena shot when the game was tied up in the third period that potentially could have put the Flames ahead and ultimately clinched the Stanley Cup on home ice. Is that something that's ever talked about? in tampa bay i know obviously legends on that team like saint louis and uh vinnie le like obviously Boyle Nikolai, happy was Bullen, there. like brad Boyle. richards like the list goes yep. on and on of legend dave Andrechuk finally went into Rustling stanley cup fed a i guess all of that worse but is that something in tampa that's talked about that ah maybe that puck wasn't in game six in 2004 <sighs>
3: Yeah, I don't know how much that's talked about in Tampa because I think they they more talk about the way that that game ended, you know. Um, but I think, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like th- that team obviously, you know, lives in you know, lives in history here. I mean, this obviously is not a traditional hockey market, and and you know, though that team and those guys specifically, you know, those names you mentioned were the guys that really kind of brought hockey to life in Tampa Bay. You know, mm. I mean, this is Florida. You know, and um, you know, even now, I think, even, even now, even though the success that these guys have had now, like, I think they still kind of live on a ch- with a chip on their shoulder that, like, you know, people really don't think they're the real deal because, you know, they're in Florida and, you know, they're ne- not necessarily, you know, they're not, they're not an original six. They're not, you know, one of these traditional markets, you know, and, um, like, do they really get the respect that they deserve? And, you know, it's amazing to think that way because of the success they've had, but, um, you know, I, I think that goes just to there's always kind of going to be a chip on their shoulder. But, you know, going back to that '04 4 team is that, you know, that you know, those, those are the guys that, you know, they'll never, uh, you know, they'll never pay for a drink in Tampa, you know, like they'll never, you know, and a lot of those guys have stuck around here, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, I know Marty and Vinny have kind of gone on to uh, get to things up north. They're a little busy. But, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think for, you know, the narrative of, of that game and, and that season, that postseason is one that kind of you know every kind of everyone kind of has their own version of it but uh but there, no no doubt that that series and and just the, the how t- hardly thought that that series was with the flames is um I think that's a part of it you know what I mean and that's uh you know that, that's something that you know and, and even now you know I think you know when these two teams get together it's hard you know it's been so many years now right but I still think it's, oh. it's hard not to go back and think and think of that. Yeah, you know, I mean, because I think especially here because that was the beginning of, of of something big. You know, in terms of not just winning a Stanley Cup, but you know, just the establishment of hockey in a very non traditional hockey market. And then now, you know, you see here, you know, there's probably more Go Bolts banners around town than there are maybe you know Bucks banners or Rays banners or stuff like that. So, I mean, this is no doubt is a hockey town, and that's it. Would be interesting to know what would happen if it did, if it did go the other way, you know, um, because then you're still chasing it right now. They've got three Stanley cups and, you know, you know, obviously that means a lot to, you know, establishing, you know, the fan base and the following and everything like that. But um, yeah, I don't know if I really answered your question, but
1: yeah, that's uh, uh, basically (laughs) what you're saying is sunshine and lollipops in Tampa Bay. And uh, just years and years and years of what-ifs here in Calgary. That's, that's no big deal, yeah. Eduardo. That's that's how it worked. <laughs> Things really worked out for you in Tampa Bay, and people in Calgary still saying to this day that puck was in. Yeah. Eduardo Cena from the Tampa Bay Times. Uh, Eduardo, great stuff. Thanks for jumping on today.
3: Anytime. Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Uh, Eduardo was on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, brought to you by Atlas Pizza and uh, Sports Bar. It's a 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner for takeout or delivery Call 403-248-3344 or dine in at Atlas Pizza, 6060 Memorial Drive, Northeast. Uh, You and I are kind of fighting it right now.
2: (laughs) A bit of a slog.
1: Usually, I I like to come with a lot of energy. Yep. Like my favorite, uh, favorite, um, Mo Mo Pete, great Toronto Raptor. Sure. Uh, He was an analyst uh, for the Three Letter Network. Yeah, I believe you. And uh, he's no longer an analyst. Okay. Uh, I, I think I know why. The only thing he ever said was the team needs more energy. I'm like, okay, yeah, I know, Mo. Like, I get it, Mo Pete. The Raptors got to come on the second half with more energy. Okay, Okay, great. great. (laughs) That's great. Great analysis. You and I need a lot more energy because you and I, I think, are still recovering from the amount of beef we had last night because you and I and producer Patrick Dumont and our next guest, Julian McKenzie, met up with us. We went to uh, Ruth's Chris at the at the base of uh, the base of the Calgary Tower. Ooh, fancy! And uh, it was delicious. Uh, we enjoyed our meal. Shout out to everyone there, and our waiter, um, Madani. That guy was a stud. Crushed it. Uh, he reminded me of uh, John Turturro's character Emilio in Mr. Deed starring Adam Sandler. Mm-hmm. He was just there, and he appeared. And I think I have a knack. I didn't realize this till last night until you pointed it out. And Patrick Dumas, you can back us up on this. Anytime I said something basically offside, yeah. he was right there pouring a drink for us or something. Anything yeah, was, remotely. About four, time, four or five times there's something being said and he was coming up right behind you and you were saying something yep. a little off color. It was all right. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah.
1: Either it was a swear word. Or something else that we were talking about. Yeah, like he just had a knack,
2: a punchline for a joke that was really jarring if heard out of context. Yeah, something like that. Sure.
1: But uh, shout out to the great people at Ruth's Chris uh, last night for the uh, Danielle, fantastic experience. Story.
2: Danielle and, Medan- and Medan- yep. yeah, we learned about Ruth's Chris and how the first one burnt down, so they had to put another name on it for legal reasons. And Ruth Fertelli uh, didn't like the uh, the actual name. No,
1: doesn't like the name, but she. But it worked out for her. But the, in that franchise, the darn thing does does yeah. it all right. Bruce Chris is uh, definitely check it out at the base of <sighs> the uh, so good. Calgary uh, Tower. We had a lot of fun last night, and we also drank some wine and uh, rolled into bed last night. And I think that's why we're A little slow motion today. Like I, I, I haven't been feeling it till the eight a.m. hour here. No, because I usually like to bring the energy. This I'll, isn't like I'm like the I'd like to be. If Mo, if Mo Pete was listening to our show, it's like you guys got to pick up the energy. And the other—that's essentially—that's all he could say.
2: The other thing too is like you know pizza pig out. That was on a weeknight, and we did that, and we were out late. And I, I would argue, I imbibed more that evening. But the next day, you just feel so loopy that it doesn't—you don't really start to feel tired. Mm. Where I think because we did just the half measure yesterday with the sauce, yeah, that now it's kind of kicking in. So we should have went. We should have put the pedal down. You're right. We should have went super hard then. Yeah, we should have busted out the shots then. <laughs> Sh- shots at the table in Ruth's Chris.
1: Yeah, making a scene like maybe drinking some scotchy scotch scotch scotchy scotch for dessert. Scotchy scotch. Um, Down- we got we got some housekeeping. Hmm? Housekeeping, housekeeping. We got some housekeeping. We need more lemon bledge. Um, my f- <laughs> the part in Tommy Boy. Um, we do that all the time with my buddies tonight. So one mine's, of mine's a Family Guy reference. Uh, mine's a Tommy Boy reference. Yeah. Um. So because I'm old. Uh we got to give us uh the final results for the poll at Sports at 960. What the Flames victory song is going to be? I I think that I think once I think you the played that clip I think the
2: listeners have come
1: through. I think you played that clip over over this song and I think that pushed it ahead. Yep. Okay. I would so agree. we'll we'll wrap that up. Uh-huh. Uh we'll still take a couple text messages on uh the coolest thing you've got at a game at a souvenir because the Lucas Raymond stick was scooped into the stands and some rando in uh, Anaheim, ended up with a stick. That's awesome. Uh, Keep those rolling at 960-960 name and location. Uh, We don't have to talk about my poll question about CFL party, because apparently you're not going to one, except for John Bender, who's going to have a lot of people at his CFL party. He's going to have
2: everybody at his.
1: And he's going to have a a delicious uh, prop sheet as well. All right, Julie McKenzie, Flames writer for The Athletic, has a great piece on the Matthew Kachuk trade. We'll ask him about that, and we'll tee up the Flames and Lightning tomorrow night from FLA. One more segment to go. Big show. Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan. It's the big show. Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan from the Doug Lacey Basement Systems Studio. We'll wrap up poll question at Sportsnet 960. What is your choice for Flames Victory Song that we'll play to kick off our show the day after Flames win? Vote, you got 23 minutes left to vote for Spitfire by The Prodigy, mm-hmm. on by Glenn Frey, Nice. Disco Inferno by The Tramps, or Bonfire by Knife Party. Disco Inferno. That was my vote. Okay. Vote those in. Uh, don't bother voting on my, if you, if, are you going to a breakup party this week? Because you're clearly not. You're just not. Nope. Over 90% of our listeners saying no. I no will,
2: um, I'll probably watch at home litter a whole bunch of coin all across the table and uh see if we can make some money back okay uh, i like that i like the cut of your can give some best bets tomorrow too yeah on the nfl fade games.
1: me and you can win win some money uh julian mckenzie I'm gonna, I'm
2: gonna pass patty dumas this week
1: i like that uh julian mckenzie calgary flames writer for the athletic joining us in the atlas pizza and sports bar guest hotline julian how are you
0: doing very well yourselves.
1: Uh we were talking about it uh you 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 joined us last night for dinner. Uh we appreciate your company. Uh Matt and I are fading a little bit cuz uh we both ate like savages last night and now we're feeling it.
0: I'm okay. I mean, I kind of you... woke up maybe about like 30 minutes ago, oh, Okay, I, well, that's I cool. actually yeah. feel okay. Rub
1: it in, sick. Yeah, yeah. we we <laughs> woke up way earlier uh than you did. You have a yes. great piece right now at the Athletic on the Matthew Kachuk deal um, to the Florida Panthers. Uh, just talk about uh, the idea of uh, this piece, and uh, how did it all kind of come together?
0: Um, I am a big fan of oral histories, and while I know that there are people who've reported on it and gotten little little segments of how maybe Jonathan Huberton was feeling or maybe something that was said from Matthew Kachuk's perspective, I like the idea of trying to tie in as much detail as I could together. Uh, obviously, in the age of word counts, you can't get every single detail in. Uh, but I'd like, I like—I just—I had this idea from around the time I was about to start the flame speed, and it took me about two months to kind of put this piece together, maybe a month and a half, and just getting all the different voices just to speak about their perspective. Uh, being in the trade or, or Alan Walsh, uh, how he heard about it and it seems like I've seen a lot of people online talk a lot about how uh, Mackenzie Weger and Jonathan Huberto ended up hearing about the trade too. Uh, it was cool to hear those stories and, and kind of put them together and also hearing from Matthew from Chuck and getting his, uh, his, his vantage point on, on how everything went down.
2: I love hearing about where people were when they got traded, how they found out. It's like uh, scouting stories, like how Mackenzie Weger got drafted. Jason Buchla told us about that once. It's a great story. Was there anything in this that you learned that kind of took you aback, shocked you, surprised you maybe as you were going about writing this story?
0: I don't know if there was anything that shocked me. I mean, I guess the closest thing is the fact that huberdo says that uh he didn't really hear that much from from bill zito and and seeing him go call his agent with with alan walsh and be like I, I think i basically just if you guys go back to the story he's like i think i just got traded he's like what do you mean you just got traded and just kind of realizing that he was as confused as he was uh, throughout this whole thing and the seeming lack of of communication even Mackenzie weaker too was like yeah, like I I didn't really know who was going with me in this trade, like like his mom. They, he was at, he was in Montreal, Montreal. Uh, wow, I said that so Montremblant, Montreal, <laughs> in, in Quebec. We're rubbing so off weird. on you. I don't want
1: to. I don't want to say anything, but the way you said it. Jonathan Huberto's name, I was anticipating you say it the French way, like it's kind of I was yeah. I was hoping
2: we wanted the flair.
0: I know, I know, but like I I, I guess I just. It's t- I'm too lazy now. But all that to say, okay. like, he's 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 at the spa, and, like, he, he hears about this trade, and, and his mom has to tell him that uh Doe is with him. And, and like, that's – I think that's kind of wild. If I was a player and I knew I was getting moved, I wanted, I would want to know everything from the GM who's, who's trying to trade me. But maybe I wouldn't care as much, and maybe I'm just kind of speaking with the benefit of hindsight. But, yeah, I think those details uh, – Kind of surprised me and the cole schmidt story as well about him being in the middle of the middle of nowhere and then having and then he turns off his generator and then uh the very next day he has to you know get back to civilization essentially to discover he's been traded to calgary
2: Some pretty cool things in there for sure. Highly recommend that you go check it out. We don't want to spoil everything in the story, but I did want to ask you about the Matthew Kachuk interview as well. Was there anything that stood out to you there? Was there? How, how did that interview come apart too?
0: Um, shout out the Panthers PR staff. <laughs> that's that's really it. Like, I, there's no crazy. Like, uh, you know, I had some hidden source. It was just, you know what? Let me see if he'd be willing to talk, and he was willing to talk and in in talking to him and 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 kind of just hearing how much he liked Florida and and also what he felt about being in Calgary and 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 how much the fans and being in that city meant to him i could understand why fans in Calgary liked him as much i mean there's the play there's the player on the ice there's the play on the ice but i think there's a personality aspect to it there's a reason why you go to Calgary games and you still see fans Wearing Matthew Kachuk jerseys. Like he's definitely one of those guys that if he's on your team, you're rooting for him. And if he's not on your team, you you do not care about that guy. And he comes across as a as an affable personality. Like he's somebody who I could completely understand why fans would get behind him and not just because of the name and the lineage and all that. But I I think just in terms of a personality, I understand, I have a slightly better understanding as someone who was just inserted into the beat after the trade happened.
1: Uh, Julian, uh, there's some breaking news uh, from the sporting world I want to just share with our listeners. And uh, you did a week of shows with me uh, covering this team. According to ESPN's Jeff Passan, uh, all-star outfielder Teoscar Hernandez has been traded to the Seattle Mariners. So Teoscar Hernandez now off to the Seattle Mariners. Uh, We don't know what the return is right now on this deal, but I would assume it's some sort of arm, be it a starter or a bullpen arm. So, uh, breaking news from ESPN's Jeff Passan, the actual Jeff Passan. I double checked, not like somebody who bought the check mark for Jeff Passan, and it's like Jeff Passan with like two ends. No, <laughs> uh, it's Jeff Passan uh, reporting that the Blue Jays have traded Teoscar Hernandez. Uh, as Maddie uh, said, uh, check out that piece. It's very well written. It's awesome. The insides, uh, the insides of, of a, just an incredible trade this summer by Brad Tree Living uh, trading away Matthew Kuchuk to the Florida Panthers. Um, Jonathan Huberto, you mentioned him. Uh, how surprised were you when you saw him on that quote-unquote third line with Michael Backlund a couple nights ago?
0: Very surprised. Um, I had even written that it was probably going to be likely that uh, – well, with, with, with the play that Adam Zishkin was having, uh, I felt that Daryl Sutter was going to have to put himself in a really interesting position. Does he – Find, does he break up that top line, which he had already said, you know, hey, no experimentation with Elias Lindholm, or does he put him on a line with Nazem Kadri? Uh, obviously, me not being in the market long enough, the idea of him being on a line with Michael Backlin, who people feel is like a fixer, and I guess if you look back at his his years in the organization, the people he's played with who have needed their their play to have like a bit of a jump start, I, I d- it did not really. It, I'll just admit it, it didn't cross my mind that he would be on a line with michael Backlund um but at least for the start of it and Ryan Huska admitted as much I think of those three players together a Huberto Backlund and Trevor Lewis they at least played well uh they came together and they found a way to at least jump start the offense at least Huberto kind of got Huberto got the first goal that game it's just that I guess considering how productive everyone else was was wondering how much more points those guys would get if I and I can double check, but I think only three forwards in the last game had no points, and two of those guys were Backlund and Lewis. So it at least started well, but it obviously wasn't as effective as the line of Rzichka, uh, to Toffoli, and Lindholm. And I think you'd want a little bit more of that. But I think for Huberto, for him to just be in a position where he's just playing again, and even if it means he has to play on that defensive line, for a guy like him, he just needs to get himself going and any opportunity for him to do so, he's going to have to take it at this point because it seems Daryl knows that uh, Lindholm likes playing with Brzezka. With Nazem Kadri is still their leading scorer and seems as if he'll probably get along with anyone he plays with. But, you know, putting him with Manjapani and I guess Milan Lucic for the time being, Sutter's comfortable with that. So Huberdeau is going to have to make it work on this line for now.
2: We've seen three straight games where the sixth defenseman, whoever it was in the lineup, be it DeSimone or Gilbert or Mackey, all three have gotten in. They've all played less than 10 minutes. And we've heard Daryl Sutter say, if you're going to be that guy, you need to be up in the teens. How are you seeing that kind of sixth defenseman right now? Is it, is it an issue? Do you think that it's something that needs to be addressed by a trade or just kind of hold out until the injuries start to heal and you get some bodies back?
0: I mean, the... I mean, the obvious answer to that is like, well, when is Oliver Shillington coming back? Because he would very much alleviate some of the lower depth issues with this team. But it doesn't seem as if he's anywhere close to returning. If uh, I know, with Eric Francis was 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 getting in on that with a, with a Brad earlier this week on his show. But yeah, I, I think at this point, because of the salary cap issues that they have, unless they're willing to deal away some salary, they might have to write out the fact that they're. If you're going to have to play guys like Nick DeSimone and Dennis Gilbert, I mean, remember Michael Stone is on IR for the foreseeable future, right? It could be a slightly better, uh, it could be slightly better in terms of depth, but it's been really tested throughout this throughout this section of the season so far. I remember at the beginning of the year, like we think of, we thought this defensive core as one that should be among the best in the league, but Chris Tannehill being out in and out of the lineup, Noah Hannafin missed a game as well, uh, Michael Stone, as I mentioned before being injured. Oliver Shillington was supposed to be part of that core, not there. They're, they're, no wonder they're at a position where they're looking towards guys like DeSimone and, and Dennis Gilbert, and at one point we were wondering if, if Nicola Meloche would be called up too. Um, they might have to write it out with the way that their salary is set,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or have to get creative with, with one of their pieces. Maybe this just be spitballing here, not trying to trade anybody, but do you try to offload Kevin Rooney, for example, Mm. for a depth defenseman on another team to try to switch things up. Like that's that's something I would think of, but I don't have any intel on that. That's just me wondering, you know, if it's worth pursuing that. But remember, like they don't have a lot of salary cap space. I mean, last I checked, they're less than it's definitely less Mm. than a mil. Like they're they're in the tens of thousands in terms of projected salary cap space left. There's not a lot of room to maneuver. So you're gonna have to do some kind of salary for salary move or you just hope that the rest of your team is able to make do with the resources available to them.
2: Yeah. And they're not going to, it doesn't appear like anybody's going to get put on LTIR right now. Cap friendly has them with $856,000 of current cap space. So you're right. It's not a ton to work with. One of the bright spots I think has been the play of Nikita Zdorov. What have you liked about uh, the roller coaster that is Nikita?
0: He seems a bit more stable than I thought he would be, at the very least. Um, I like his physical presence a lot, and I think it's something that other teams have to take account for when he is on the ice. I think sometimes he'll still make a giveaway in his own zone, and it is a bit of a roller coaster with him. But otherwise, I think the fact that he's usually, at least when the team is at full strength, even if he's on a third pairing, he still finds a way to be effective while still logging in some very big minutes. I guess it's the fact that he's not placed up so high in the depth chart and not as much pressure on him to, to succeed that's leading to the uh, the early season success so far but definitely the physical presence and, and just the fact that he's not making as many mistakes at least in the first few games of the year and at some points now too, I think that helps with his success right now.
1: Julian, what have you made of Jacob Markstrom's play so far this season?
0: Man, um... To start, I remember, I think on this show, I think I think definitely on Haley's show, too, I defended him. I was like, hey, like he's, he, he's having a better point in the year now than he did at the start of the year. But I think I'm at the point now where I can say that Jacob Markstrom is not the full problem when it comes to defending leads and, allo- and allowing as many goals. But he definitely needs to be better. And Daryl mm. Sutter admitted as much this week. You need your you need your guys to be stars. And, and look, Jacob Markstrom made a hell of a save at the end of that Kings game uh, to keep it at a six five game. But could you imagine how we'd be talking about that game if if it was only six three? Even if it was just six three and they allowed three goals, but they go through a second period where they only allow four shots on net, and then they close the door in that third period. Like we look at the team and we look at Jacob Markstrom on, on a much different in a much different viewpoint in a much different lens uh, and i still think that ultimately in order for this team to be at a point where they can play full 60 minute games jacob markstrom has to be better he, he he's having games where he's pulling off an outstanding save and then he allows some weird wraparound goal like what the one uh, like what are the two goals arthur Callie have scored the other night from along the goal line like He has to be better, and I don't think that's an unfair expectation to put. Another point that Daryl Sutter made is that this team's among the worst in terms of save percentage. That responsibility falls on him and maybe a bit on Dan Vladar too, but I think Jacob Barkstrom deserves, I think it's more than fair to say that Jacob Barkstrom should be better. It's not saying that he's a bad player. We know how good he can be, but... He has to be better. And then after that, you'd say everyone has to be better. But Jacob Markstrom for sure has to be better.
1: Julian McKenzie uh, covers the Calgary Flames from the Athletic. Check out his incredible piece on the trade that sent Matthew Kachuk to the Panthers and brought Jonathan Uberdo and Mackenzie Weaker. Jonathan Uberdo. Thank you. Nicolas Malache.
0: Yeah. Nicolas Malache.
1: See, yeah. Denny Gilbert.
0: Yeah, uh, just just. Uh, I, I don't know if we need to go that far.
1: No, he's from Buffalo. Uh, so just real, real quickly here, uh, Julian. Is it weird when mm-hmm. French Canadian? Because you're French Canadian. You're from Montreal. So if somebody like Matty Rose is as Calgary as Calgary can be, <laughs> when he tries to say a French name, isn't it weird? And you're like, just shut up and just just say the English style.
0: So like the thing with me is is that the reason why I say names in French is because like like going to French immersion schools and hearing French names like yeah, like I, I,
1: you, you I don't speak want to say French in my brain. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I speak French. Like yeah. I'm, I was born, but to be clear, like I was born Ang- like I, I come from an Anglophone family and among the, the, the Anglophones who live in Montreal, but I also learned French from schools. So like, and also I grew up watching LDS for hockey. So of course I'm going to pronounce some French names like in French. So that's, that's just the reflex that happens. It's not like, you know, me, like that, that that's why it happened. So if Matty Rose does that, I'm just going to shake my head and be like, all right, do what you need to <laughs> do. Okay. <laughs> no judgment.
2: Okay. I like it. I'm uh, just trying to be more cultured. Yeah. That's you, my, point. you,
1: can't, you mm-hmm. can't be any more cultured. Oh, uh, thanks, Julian McKenzie, George, Calgary flames writer for the athletic. Uh, we'll talk soon, pal. Thanks for this.
0: All right. Peace. My friends.
1: Oh, uh, there he is on the Atlas pizza and sports bar guest hotline. 14 time, 14 time consumer choice award winner for takeout or delivery call 403-248-3344 uh we're at the uh hospital home lottery thingy tomorrow it's chris sutter time that's what this feels like okay um we're on location tomorrow i don't think you can come say hi i don't think you're allowed in but uh Uh, not when we're there it's
2: too early when we're there yeah but
1: later broden i'll just do it after the break so we'll just do the read i gotta do another rogers business read
2: Shout out Rogers for business. I love
1: Rogers and business and Rogers cell phones. Uh, That's it for us. Uh, Thanks for listening. Brody on the beat, live on location tomorrow. Super excited. The best segment in all of Canadian sports radio. It's the big show, Rustic and Rose. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Bye.